Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome everybody to another episode of FEPS Talks. My name is Edwig Giusto and I'm Senior Policy Advisor at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. I'm very happy to introduce our guest, who is Matteo De Bellis. Matteo is researcher on migration and asylum in an organization that doesn't need any introduction. Uh, it's Amnesty International. And at Amnesty, Matteo, uh, as I said, deals with human rights, deals with asylum, migration and discrimination. Today, we are going to discuss with him uh, the current situation in the Mediterranean and in particularly along the central Mediterranean route. And we'll try to see together what impact, but not just that, what impact the pandemics has had on flows from Libya and on the reception of migrants and refugees in Italy and Malta, but also we look uh, at the general situation in the Mediterranean. Uh, Matteo, first of all, uh, let me thank you for, uh, for being with us today and for sharing with us your insight on this very difficult topic. Um, let's give, first of all, a picture of the flows in this month of pandemics. Have you uh, recorded, have you seen a decline or an increase in the arrivals in these months. What is your perception? What is your assessment of the situation? First of all, thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Of course, uh, during this year, we are focusing, uh, and rightly so, on the pandemic, on COVID, and the, its impact on uh, migration patterns and the life of migrants and asylum seekers. In the specific context of the central Mediterranean, I will say that Uh, we still have to see whether the pandemic uh, will have uh, a longer-term impact. But the most important thing to say, I will say, is that the number of people crossing, particularly from Libya to Italy and Malta through the central Mediterranean route, uh, has increased a tiny bit uh, mm. compared to last year, but is still... Uh, very much below the numbers we had seen uh, in previous years, mm. and particularly between 2014 and 2017. So the measures that have been taken, uh, particularly from 2016-2017, uh, to stop arrivals and to contain uh, or trap people in Libya through the empowerment of the Libyan Coast Guard mm. and other Libyan authorities, Uh, are still achieving the objective yeah. of, in fact, containing people in Libya. That does not mean that the pandemic is not having any effects. As we all know, migrants have been affected, both sides of the Mediterranean in particular, because they are disproportionately represented in groups like working uh, on essential uh, areas, Uh, but also working in informal areas. And this is particularly true in Libya, where foreign workers uh, do not have any social net uh, to help them, to assist them at a time when they are not being employed. Many of them were just working daily, finding different jobs. And, uh, and in the current environment, it's extremely difficult for, for ref refugees and migrants in Libya to find employment. And that means that they have even fewer means to survive than what they had before. At the same time, they have very little access to health and healthcare, mm -hmm. partly because the infrastructure for healthcare in Libya has been deeply affected by the mm -hmm. conflict, but also because of the rampant racism in the country, which means that foreign nationals, particularly from sub-Saharan Africa, have uh, little access and very often uh, 
uh, are very frightened to, to seek help mm -hmm. even when they are in desperate situations. Mm -hmm. And they have, I remember having spoken in past years, in past months with refugees and migrants who saw people die in front of them. I remember mm -hmm. a, a young man who told me that his father died at home in Tripoli, uh, what they called home, because they were just too frightened to go to the hospital to seek assistance for the father. So this is a very difficult situation for refugees and migrants. Uh, that might explain why a little bit more people have taken to the sea in recent months. However, as I emphasized before, the number of crossings is still uh, significantly, significantly lower than in previous years. And we have to uh, look at what we can do for refugees and migrants rather than obsessing about what we have to do to stop the flow, because this is really not a crisis. There, um if you allow me, uh, let, let's stay a little bit more in, in Libya. There is something that people usually don't know, that uh, is the fact that Libya used to be a country of arrival for, uh, for migrants from, uh, from Africa. It's now uh, mostly a country of transit, but in the past people used to go to Libya and look for a job in Libya because it was, uh, I'm talking of the Gaddafi times and, and so on. Are there still people who want to stay in Libya? And uh, shall we also speak a little bit about the situation in, uh, in the detention camps uh, in this country? It is absolutely true that for a long time, uh, Libya has been a country of destination. Uh, particularly, this started under the Gaddafi era when he, he initiated a, an open-door policy for sub-Saharan uh, Africans, inviting people to go and work in Libya, in a country where that was rich with oil and therefore rich with resources and needed workers. This has been going on for decades, mm. and that's the reason why there are currently about 700,000, 800,000 refugees and migrants in uh, Libya. That does not mean at all, as although some people are suggesting that, that all these people are waiting for a boat to go to mm. Europe. Absolutely not. In fact, just to give an example, uh, one of the first nationalities uh, represented in Libya are, fro are people from Niger. Mm -hmm. people, Niger obviously is a, is a neighboring country, a very poor country, and there are many people who go to Libya to work for some time, for a few years, or who have established them in some parts of Libya. But we almost never see anyone from Niger on the boats. There is just no tradition, if we may say so, mm -hmm. to do that. There are also many big communities from Egypt. And again, it's pretty rare to see people from Egypt taking the boats from Libya. So it's important to emphasize that there are many people who have established themselves coming from abroad in Libya, who just want to have a decent life in Libya, but who have been uh, completely betrayed by Libya over the years because not only it is a difficult life for them work-wise, particularly in this moment, but it is also extremely difficult to survive in a country where the rule of law is in pieces, mm -hmm. where there is no authority. And a country which is torn by the civil war. <laughs> Absolutely. A country that in particular in the past couple of years has seen uh, many civilians mm -hmm. uh, being uh, unfortunately the victims mm -hmm. of... Uh, uh, even criminal acts and war crimes. You were also mentioning the situation in detention okay. centers. And if I may take a, take a step back in time again, I would say that we also need to remember that it's true that Gaddafi, until a point, invited foreign workers to the country. It is also true that about 20 years ago, 
European states, and Italy in particular, started putting pressure on Gaddafi himself to close the valve. Not so much because they didn't want people, obviously, to go to Libya, but because they didn't want people to get on boats and come to Europe, which is yeah. something that, a phenomenon that has started a long time ago, not two days ago. And there was an agreement between the Berlusconi government and uh, the Gaddafi, Gaddafi regime to stop migrants arriving in Italy already. E exactly, exactly. An agreement which was signed in 2008. Mm. There were also initial negotiated negotiations before. And around that time, we have seen uh, the Libyan government taking a more aggressive stance at punishing people that they consider to be irregularly present mm -hmm. in the country. So after having invited people without providing them very often with documents, they started punishing them and saying, no, if you are irregular, you can't stay here. You can't even leave the country regularly. Uh, otherwise, you are subject to being placed in detention centers. So the, this change, this turn of uh, attitude was somehow forced by external pressures. Is that what you're saying? Yes, this is what I'm saying, that at least to some extent, about 20-15 years ago, when Gaddafi wanted to re-establish a dialogue with European countries, because he had been a paria leader for many decades, he used migration control as the ace to put on the table to convince one government in particular, the Berlusconi government, but also other Italian governments, to open a door to someone who had not been seen with any sympathy at the political level until then. And it worked. It worked. And as a result, Gaddafi felt the pressure to stop migration, to fulfill the promise and get access to the door, you know, to the living room where we could discuss with European leaders. But the price for this has been paid since then by refugees and migrants who have been locked in detention centers. And we see the same detention centers still functioning almost 20 years later, and we see still leaders suggesting now that they didn't know anything about mm. that, which is... In mm. And has Amnesty International access somehow to, to this detention centre? Has any NGO or international organisation access to control the, mm. the situation uh, in these detention centres? So over the years, Amnesty International has accessed some uh, detention centers, uh, not uh, recently, uh, but we are, because we have some problems in accessing. Uh, uh, many other NGOs work in the detention centers and therefore provide services uh, to people inside. There are also UN agencies, like in particular UNHCR and, and uh, IOM, having constant access to many detention centers. We have over the years documented ourselves the situation in some de detention centers and uh, this is why I'm saying it is incredible to hear now people still suggesting they didn't know anything about it because there have been reports I remember we published in 2011, 2013, 2015 uh, talking about what was going on in uh, Libya uh, to refugees and migrants. Mm. And, and, there are, and there are endless testimonies of people who have been in those camps telling what kind of tortures and uh, abuses they have been subject to. Exactly. And this is the kind of work on which I have personally concentrated mm. in the past few years, particularly visiting, visiting reception centers in southern Italy or in mm. Tunisia, even in Niger, to interview people about mm. their experiences, which is obviously an intense experience, uh, but that 
can give you a lot because once people are accessing a safe space where they can spend time to tell their story, which is not possible, in fact, inside the detention centers, very often they are happy to do so. Obviously, it's very difficult for them. And they can tell you stories that are completely consistent in terms of the kind of ill treatment they suffer inside the detention centers, the kind of abuse women experience, the kind of abuse they experience very often uh, to force imposed on them to force their relatives to pay a ransom to get out of the detention centers. And it's important to highlight in this that there are official detention centers, the so-called DCIM detention centers, which are under the responsibility of the Tripoli government. But there are also a number of other places of captivity which are not directly managed in any way by the Libyan government, but that still are playing a role. And unfortunately, where we see a lot of abuse happening. However, how many people are we talking about, more or less? Do we have numbers? So in this moment, there are a little over 2,000 people in the official detention centers. No one knows, no one tries even to do an estimate of how many people could be in the unofficial detention centers. Probably way more than in the uh, official ones. In the detention centers in the past few years, there has been uh, generally a number of people around 5,000, 5,000, mm-hmm. 6,000. We are seeing this year the number has gone down, which is uh, very welcome, of course, mm-hmm. from us, although probably it was for the wrong reasons, uh, because in some cases uh, we heard stories of uh, camp managers being afraid detention centers managers being afraid of foreigners because of COVID and uh, saying they didn't want to have any more people in certain months of Mm. this year. And this may have played a role in reducing the numbers. However, we have seen that this is picking up again because, again, people disembarked by the Libyan Coast Guard are being taken to the detention centers. This was going to be my my question. Who are the people who are in the detention center? Because we are talking of a few thousand people, which is a small number compared to the migrants and uh, asylum seekers who are stranded in, in Libya. So the the ones who go to the official detention center are the ones that are pushed back or saved. And I'm using uh, inverted uh, commas while while I'm saying this. Saved by the the Libyan Coast Guard, right? Is that that correct? So generally speaking, the detention centers have been used for years for people, uh, including People stopped in the street, for example, and found without document and taken to the detention center. However, since 2017, when the Europeans really started a new policy of engagement with the Libyan Coast Guard, uh, we have seen more and more the detention centers being used, in fact, to place the people who have been intercepted at sea by the EU-supported Libyan Coast Guard disembarked in Libya and immediately transferred to the detention centers. Generally speaking, this has continued to happen for all the time. And generally speaking, the people disembarked in Libya were taken to official detention centers. However, in recent months, we have seen a development which is very worrying that in a few cases, at least, people have not been taken to the official detention centers, but to unofficial ones. And this may also be a reason why we see the number of people in official detention centers going down. Now, if the situation in the official detention centers is incredibly bad, imagine what it can be in the unofficial ones, where NGOs cannot even have access, where international agencies do not have access, 
where even Libyan authorities do not have access. So we are very concerned that this is happening, but also that European governments continue to insist on a policy that focuses on empowering the Libyan authorities to intercept people at sea and disembark them in Libya, when they know very well that this is happening, that people disembarked are taken to places where they are arbitrarily detained for weeks, months, years, tortured, ill-treated, including through sexual violence. Well, the previous commission uh, claimed that uh, through the, uh, its actions and the, one, and the action of uh, UNHCR, etc., the situation had improved in the last few years. Would you like to comment on that? Would you, would you agree with this statement? Let me be entirely frank here, as always, probably. Mm. European governments and institutions have been hiding behind UNHCR and IOM for a long time, and they continue to do so. So if you have UN agencies working in Libya and you want to trust them, then you do what they are suggesting. The situation here is pretty odd because the UN agencies are saying you should never disembark anyone in Libya, but nonetheless, we have foot on the ground. We try to do whatever we can to help the people who are in Libya. But please don't send any more. Now, the European institutions and governments are saying, no, don't worry, because the UN are there and therefore everything is fine. No, nothing is fine. Nothing is fine in detention centers. And I have interviewed tons of people who told me, yes, I've seen the UN agencies visiting the detention center. It was difficult to speak to them because there was a guard present. And so I would feel a little bit afraid that what I would tell them could be heard by mm. others. And in any case, when they left, they've been beating people. When they have left, they have sold on the black market the goods that they had received from the agencies. There are many, many testimonies telling mm. us this. This is not to say that the work that the UN agencies and some NGOs are doing on the ground in the detention centers and in other places is not important. It is crucial. They are saving people's lives. It is the only thing at it, the moment. <laughs> exactly. But hiding behind the sacrifice that these people are making to, to help others to justify a policy of containment in Libya is, is just unconscionable. And we can't keep doing that. We need to listen to what these agencies are, uh, are saying if we want to be respectful of their work and stop cooperating in a way that traps people in Libya and instead focus on taking actions that lead to closing detention centers, evacuating people from the detention centers, offering safe and legal pathways for the people who are trapped in Libya so that they can get out of danger. Resettlement of refugees is a very important tool to do that. However, in the past few years, only a few thousand people have benefited of resettlement out of Libya. And this year, this has been stopped because of COVID. Can we resume that? Or do we want to use also COVID as an excuse? Because COVID is a real crisis, is a real problem. But we can't even use that as a justification to do what European states were doing all along, which was not really invest in positive programs like the resettlement and use it to stop people. Yeah. This, this leads to, um, to my, my last question. Uh, we've been waiting for, uh, for a few months now uh, for this new pact 
on migration and asylum that the European Commission, the new European Commission, promised at the end of last year when the, when it was established. Um, there have been expectations for a, a dramatic change, but nevertheless, there's, it doesn't look like the political situation vis-à-vis uh, -vis migration has changed. I mean, the attitude of uh, of those countries which are firstly against any policy aimed at increasing, as you mentioned, safe and orderly legal ways to enter Europe, resettlement, relocation or whatever. So what is, what is your expectation concerning this, this new pact, whose content is still, at least in, in details, unknown? As you say, the, the content is, is, uh, is pretty unknown. Uh, however, there have been rumors mm. about the emphasis. Uh, we have seen some information about some proposals. What we have seen, unfortunately, seems to go in the same direction in terms, for example, of uh, emphasizing the importance of cooperating with North African countries, such as Libya. There doesn't seem to be any new understanding on the part of the new commission of the damaging effects that this cooperation is uh, creating. And on the other side, I would say that in recent months, the European Commission has also been a bit shy in combating certain new practices that have been uh, displayed by member states, such as Malta, for example, such as Croatia, such as Greece and others. Countries that are stopping people from getting to Europe to seek asylum in any way, very often using tools, using measures that are borderline unlawful, if not clearly unlawful. Yeah. The they're, they're actually breaching interna international law. And EU uh, law. Yeah, and EU law. Yeah. And, uh, and we would like to see a commission that is a little bit more forceful in highlighting the need to respect international law, not just in grand statements, but in practice challenging the policies and practices that we are seeing. And in terms of the new pact, we would like to see a new pact that emphasizes the need to protect the rights of refugees and migrants, to build an asylum system that works for the states, but also for the asylum seekers and the refugees, a system that offers many more safe and legal ways for asylum seekers in particular, but also for migrant workers to access opportunities in Europe so that fewer people are, in fact, forced to take irregular journeys that are exposing them to danger. Unfortunately, my expectations are not too high because having received information about what the Commission plans to include in the new pact, it doesn't look like a new pact. It looks like a rejuggling of some measures that have been discussed for a long time. I am hopeful that they can help get over the never-ending debate on solidarity and win that debate, because that has stopped, in a way, EU institutions and member states to achieve progress on many briefs. Certainly, we want to see more solidarity. We want to see a solidarity that focuses on providing refugees and migrants with access to rights. And we want to see a cooperation with countries outside of Europe that goes back to the values that European institutions always say they want to pursue. Uh, and if they are truthful about that, then cooperating with countries like Libya needs to start from human rights. It needs to start from fairness towards people. It cannot start from doing our own business and forgetting what happens to people.
Thank you very much, uh, Matteo, for this, this very interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>